You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week, we're hearing from a special guest speaker. We are so excited to have Glenn come and speak. So let's welcome Glenn as he comes. Thanks, man. Thank you, Gare. Yes, I do feel like we should hang out more. And it's a privilege to be here with you and Ash and Sibs. And well, we've had a great time. And hello, Vintage Church. Great to be with you today. It's beautiful here in Santa Monica, and it's beautiful here inside the house of the Lord. Love worshiping with you, singing with you. And we've got some friends who are here. I'm going to sing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embarrass you. Spencer over there and Steve. Come on, guys. Just a little wave or flex or whatever. So they used to go to our church in Colorado Springs. So anyway, yeah. Um, we'll, if, if, if you really think they're cool, we take credit. If not, I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen them in years, so it's been a while. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. We, we, uh, my wife and I have lived in Colorado Springs for about 22 years. I serve at a church called New Life Church, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Hey, would you pray with me as we open up the scriptures this morning? We're going to have a, a great time together, and so let's invite the Lord to come and speak to us. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. You are the risen one. And so now we invite the Holy Spirit to come and open our eyes to see Jesus, open our ears to hear Uh, His voice, the voice of the Lord speaking to us, your voice. Uh, We pray that you'd open up our minds to understand and comprehend and new ways of thinking. We pray that you'd open up our hearts to respond to you with surrender, with trust. All the ways that you're trying to conform us to the image of Jesus. And so we pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I'm from Malaysia, which is about as far as you can go the other side of the world before you start coming back, world being round and all, um, no matter what some people say. And, uh, and uh, I, my, my dad actually was raised in a Hindu family. Uh, he was given the name Indra. When he became a Christian, he changed it to David. Uh, Indra is the name of like a Hindu god. My mom grew up in an Anglican family in Singapore, and they met at the University of Singapore. And as things kind of got serious, my mom basically said, look, I'm not marrying a Hindu. And he says, great, I'll become a Christian. So it's, the, it's, it's better than Alpha. It's dating as an evangelist. No, we don't recommend that strategy, but sometimes God works in mysterious ways. Um, and, and, and of course, since, you know, since that moment, they both have had tremendous uh, encounters with the Lord, uh, places in their life and their journey. They would say they got born again and encountered the Holy Spirit. Uh, they served in pastoral ministry for almost 20 years. But over the course of my growing up, that decision for my, for my dad to convert from Hinduism, it, it was a costly decision. And it resulted in many of his extended family kind of breaking ties with, with us. So for a lot of my sister and I, our growing up years, we, didn't, we weren't as close to my dad's side of the family. We hung out more with my mom's side of the family. But over time, things got, you know, a little bit more cordial and we would see them. And we had an aunt and uncle that were in town that lived close to us, my dad's sister and brother-in-law. And this guy, you know, he, his, my uncle, he was... He was a lawyer, very successful, but he was also like a day drunk, you know, like he was always just on the edge. And then at night, it just tipped over the edge, you know, people like that. And um, and so growing up, this was always, it was sometimes fun, but sometimes kind of scary because he'd show up at these family gatherings and he'd get louder and louder and more, uh, you know, obnoxious. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, my drunk uncle. And um, my my wife, Holly and I, this summer will celebrate 21 years of being married. It's uh, amazing. We have four kids. Kids, 
And so back in, you know, 2001, when we got married, we we're like, okay, we're going to need to do a reception in Malaysia. So we flew all the way over there. And then it hit me, she's going to meet my drunk uncle at this reception. So I'm like, babe, here's how it's going to go. As the night goes on, he's going to come up to us and he's going to say something like how uh, God spelt backwards is dog. And so his dog is his God. And, and on cue, he shows up and he's like doing this whole routine. I'm like, ah, my drunk uncle, you know. This morning, we're starting a series here at Vintage on the Holy Spirit. We're going to do the next four Sundays on the Holy Spirit. And if we could just be honest for a moment, sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit like he's the drunk uncle in the family, you know? I know you're like, can you say that? Is that blasphemy? Oh, we'll work it out later. But, but, <laughs> but this is how we functionally treat the Holy Spirit because we're like, we got to invite him. Like, he's part of the Trinity. Like, we got to invite him. We got to, like, mention him. We can't not invite him. He's family, right? But at the same time, you're like, what's he going to do? Like everybody looks away. You're kind of embarrassed. He's the drunk uncle sometimes. Well, I hope to change your thinking about the Holy Spirit. I hope to challenge us this morning to maybe think more deeply and beyond that to sort of have a hunger awakened in our hearts for what the Holy Spirit wants to be and do in our lives. The first few hundred years after the resurrection, these communities of followers of Jesus began to form, North Africa and Asia and throughout this region. As, that, as they began to spread and multiply, about 300 years in, they said, we should write down the stuff that we all believe and make sure we all understand these are the letters that we treat as scripture and these are the statements that kind of define the, the part of faith. So they, there's 300 church leaders, bishops, met in a city called Nicaea and they wrote down what we now refer to as as the Nicene Creed. We have this on banners in our church, and sometimes people look at it and like, did that say the Niceness Creed? No, no, no. It's the Nicene Creed because it's the city where they wrote this thing. And as they, they wrote this stuff down, they were trying to say, this is kind of the bare minimum of what Christians believe. And maybe you're new to this stuff, you're watching online or whatever, and you're like, Christians don't even agree on what they believe. It's not true. The Nicene Creed is the one confession of Christian faith that is held in every stream of Christianity, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, they all hold to this confession. So if you're a business person, you could say, this is the minimum viable product. Like this is the irreducible minimum. This is where we all, we got to all hold on to these things. And when it comes to the, the, the stanza, a paragraph about the Holy Spirit, it opens with this phrase, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. We're going to say two things this morning about who the Holy Spirit is. This whole morning, we're going, to, we're going to explore the subject, the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And the first answer we're going to give to that question is that the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence. It's God's personal presence. In fact, as the creed says, the Lord, the giver of life, and then it goes on and says, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. We can worship the Holy Spirit. We can glorify the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. So when I say the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence, we have to say that this is God himself acting. This is not some nebulous kind of force. This isn't sort of a Star Wars-ish theology with the force that we're tapping into. This is God on the scene. 
And you see this kind of early. I'm just going to list a few bullet point moments. There's a book in the New Testament that records the actions of the early church, the first church. And as they were telling stories about the Holy Spirit, they're describing the Holy Spirit not as a force but in a personal way. In Acts 5, there's this couple that lies to the Holy Spirit and it's treated as if they were lying to God. So the Spirit is not a force. It's the, one of the persons of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is active in speaking. It says in Acts 13 to set aside Paul and Barnabas. In Acts 15, the Spirit is discerning with a group of apostles what to do. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is the chairman of the board meeting there. Acts 16, the Holy Spirit is closing doors for Paul and opening other doors. Really, we could call the book of Acts not the acts of the apostles, but the acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. And then somewhere along the way, as they begin to realize this spirit is God at work, they began to sort of get a little bit more developed in their theology, and they said, well, we've never said anything like this before, but we think God is three in one, (laughs) three persons in one. And they began to develop a way of speaking of the Holy Spirit with what we call Trinitarian language. But there's more than this. It's not just that the spirit is God at work and personal, but when we say the Spirit is God's personal presence, we mean that also in terms of proximity. Not just divinity and trinity, but proximity. See, the word for spirit in the Old Testament written in Hebrew is this, this word ruach, which means wind or breath. Same thing in Greek in the New Testament. It's pneuma, wind or breath. Listen, when you're really close to someone, you're close enough to Smell their breath sometimes. If we imagine that the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, but also like God's very breath, that speaks of proximity. That speaks not of an impersonal or even a distant, it's not God just sort of acting randomly and then disappearing. It's God in a very personal way. In fact, this is what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. John 7. John 7, verse 37, it says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted, All who are thirsty should come to me, and all who believe in me should drink. As the scripture said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out from within him. And then John's like, okay, in in case you miss that. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, Jesus said this concerning the Spirit. Those who believed in him would soon receive the Spirit, but they hadn't experienced the Spirit yet since Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. Friends, here we are on this Sunday after Easter Sunday where we remember Jesus is risen. Jesus has been glorified. That means the Holy Spirit is available for you and for me. That rivers of living water thing. So this image that Jesus gives of the spirit is not a distant thing. It's not a a, a nebulous sort of life force in in the galaxy, but rivers that can well up inside you. Maybe you're you're listening this morning and you're like, the Holy Spirit's been kind of an academic thing. It's like, well, I know there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's great. And you you can name sort of his job description and his resume, but Jesus says, it's more than that. We want, he wants you to experience the Spirit, like this river that's, that's in you, that's bubbling up and like a life-giving well, which leads us to the second thing we're going to say about the Holy Spirit this morning. Not only is the Holy Spirit God's personal presence, 
But the Holy Spirit is God's powerful presence. The Holy Spirit is God's powerful presence. And there's so much we can say about this, but just back to that phrase in the creed, when the early Christians were saying, I, I think it was a stroke of genius that they didn't say, the we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord who gave life. They didn't describe the Holy Spirit as this is what he once did, the spirit who hovered over the waters of creation in the dark and primordial mess and then brings life out of it. No, he's not the one who gave life. They say he's the Lord, the giver of life. That's a big deal. It's a big deal because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about the spirit in the past tense. Some of us this morning, you're like, oh, I know the Holy Spirit. Got filled with the spirit back in 82, you know. <laughs> You're like, well, but he's not the Lord who gave life. He's the Lord, the giver of life. That means we can't talk about the Holy Spirit without getting on the edge of our seat a little bit and saying, I want that life. I want that power. He's not just God's personal presence, but God's powerful presence. So what does the Spirit empower us for? I mean, this could be a whole series in itself. And in fact, some of the weeks in the series, we're going to talk, you're going to talk about the gifts and you're going to talk about some of the ways that power gets expressed for the building up of the church. But just for today, as kind of the intro sermon of the series, I want to just say three ways that the Spirit empowers us. Are you ready? Three ways that the Spirit empowers us. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and he says, So I want to make it clear to you that no one says Jesus is cursed when speaking by God's Spirit. That wouldn't be the Spirit. And no one can say, on the flip side, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So maybe you're here this morning and you've been following Jesus for a short time or you've been following Jesus for, the long, for a long time. The only reason you can confess Jesus is because the Holy Spirit's already at work in your life. Every Christian already has the Holy Spirit. What we're going to talk about this morning is, but how do we allow the Holy Spirit to keep renewing his work in us? So the first way that the Spirit empowers us is the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit is the power to confess Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the power to confess Jesus. If you're like, Glenn, do I have the Spirit? I'll say, do you believe Jesus is Lord? And if you say yes, I'll say, then yes. Because that power is already showing up in you. But there's more. But wait, there's more. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, thanks for that, by the way. I appreciate that. <laughs> Acts 1.8. Jesus says, rather you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, it's like these concentric circles here, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That word witness is a, is a powerful word because it's not just like testimony. That word witness in the Greek is the word that we get our English word martyr from, marturo. It's the idea that the Holy Spirit gave them power to say something bold about Jesus that meant they were putting their life at risk and they didn't fear it. They didn't fear the fact that testifying about Jesus in this way could lead to their death. You know, this is how empires work. Every system of oppression that has ever existed in human history works by the threat of the power of death. We're seeing it in Europe. We've seen it in our country. We continue. Anytime someone has the power of death, they have the power to oppress. But the early Christians knew that God broke the power of death. After Easter, they were like, well, God raised Jesus from the dead. So Rome, what else you got? 
Like, I mean, if he did that to Jesus, he's like, we're one day going to rise. And so all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit turned these nervous, kind of edgy, you know, like frightened disciples into bold witnesses. And that's the second thing. The Holy Spirit is the power to be a witness for Jesus. Power to testify that there's a different king on the throne and that his kingdom doesn't work like the kingdoms of this world. It doesn't work by consumerism. It works by generosity and it doesn't work by selfishness. It works by self-giving, sacrificial love. And it doesn't work by fear. It works by love. And these first followers of Jesus, all of a sudden, I mean, think about this. The way the Gospels end, all the dudes, by the way, are running from the scene. Like, it's the women who stayed at the cross, okay? It was the women, was the women who showed up to the tomb first, right? The dudes are always running, and then they run to it like they discovered it, you know? Like, hey, hey, hey. Like, bro, come on, man. Where you been? Like, the women never left. But after the Holy Spirit gives them power, now they're like preaching sermons. They're, be, they're, they're taken to prison. They're beaten. Because Rome was like, what do we do with a people who claim allegiance to a different king and aren't afraid of death? Whew. What do we do with those people? I think that's still the power that the church has today. What does LA do with a group of people who follow a different king who live according to a different kingdom and aren't afraid of anything the world or the devil can do to them. Wouldn't you like to live that way? Listen, when we talk about the power to be a witness, it's not, it is sharing your testimony and your, it is absolutely that, but it is also living in such a way that makes people say, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And some of you are in different industries, different lines of work, maybe conversations with neighbors or family members, and you're like, I don't know how to be a witness, but the Holy Spirit does. I, I don't know how to, how do I, this is a complicated ethical situation. How do I, it's the Holy Spirit that will give you power to bear witness to the king in that situation. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? I, I, we live uh, on a street, that is about a quarter of a mile from a really nice new hospital. And so there's a lot of doctors on our street. We have the, the smallest house by far. And, uh, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a surgeon, I think, on, um, up the hill a little bit. Really nice guy, really sweet family. And he has four wonderful vehicles. He has a Tesla. He has a Porsche. Um, and then he has, like in the other garage, like a lift with two cars. One of them's a Lamborghini and the other's a Ferrari. I know, it's just another house in Santa Monica. I get that. But uh, for, us, it's a, for us, it's a big deal. And, uh, and they're, they're wonderful people. They're really sweet people. So sometimes on a Saturday, he'll lower you know, the lift and pull out the Lambo and the Ferrari and he'll just park them on the curb just so all the neighborhood kids and me can gawk. You know? And we're like, wow, look at that car. And he's, you know, he's smiling. He's, you know, he's got this car. Like that's, that's kind of a flex. You know? so, um, <laughs> so, so he enjoys it. But here's the thing. The hospital is like a quarter mile away. And one day I saw him like driving the Lambo home from the hospital and I was like, dude, like there's a roundabout here. The speed limit tops at 35, like, but I'm glad you have the Lambo. But actually, I really hope that at late at night without us knowing it, he just goes on the interstate and just, you know, puts it wide open because it'd be a shame, right, to only use it for that short distance. But, you know, that's a little bit like us and the Holy Spirit. We have the very power of God, the same spirit, Paul says, who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And you're like, I know, isn't he shiny? <laughs> like, look, look, look at my Lambo. Like, this, he's so nice. 
And we know how to display it. We'll use the vocabulary. We'll, we'll work in the spirit in our language. But really all we're doing is parking them on the curb and saying, isn't this nice? But the Holy Spirit's like, what if there's a mission for you that is beyond you that it requires the power of the Holy Spirit for? If the Holy Spirit is the power to be his witness, then the challenge for you and the invitation for you is to say, God, maybe I need to think about going more than a quarter mile away. <laughs> what are the outer reaches of the mission that you have for me? It's not necessarily geographically different, but maybe it's bolder than I thought. The Holy Spirit is the power to be a witness for Jesus. By the way, over the course of my parents' life of being faithful witnesses to Jesus, my dad got to lead my used-to-be drunk uncle to the Lord before he passed away. That's a life lived as a way. He wasn't preaching to him at family gatherings. He wasn't trying to give him tracts and ask him if he knew where he would go if he died tonight. But one day when my uncle was sick, he asked for my dad to come and said, pray with me. I'm so sorry I've made fun of Jesus all these years. The Holy Spirit is the power to be a witness for Jesus. We look at some of the other things that the scriptures say about the Holy Spirit. John 3, verse 3, Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. And Nicodemus is a religious leader who, he's like curious, but he comes in the middle, he's like, Jesus, talk to me in the middle of the night. How is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born. I like that Nicodemus says, isn't it? Like... Is there some like other, you know, like, no, bro, it's not possible. <laughs> but Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Jesus is talking about baptism, which is going to happen today, water and the spirit. You come out of the waters of baptism and you say, be filled again with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying something happens at baptism, something happens when you come to Jesus that it's so powerful, our weakest, or our best metaphor is still too weak. It's this metaphor of new birth. It's like you've been born again, born of the Spirit. And then Paul says it this way in Romans. He says, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back into fear, but you received a spirit that shows that you are adopted as his children. Some of you are here this morning, this is serious, and you think there's like second-class status in the church, second-rate stuff. But I want you to know that if you come to Jesus and you say yes to the Holy Spirit, you become a child of God, period, end of story, child of God. Everything is different. You don't have to carry that old label of, well, that, that, that dude's a failure or she's a mess up. You don't have to listen to the voice of shame. Instead, the spirit, Paul says, testifies with the spirit. He says, we cry, Abba, Father. We cry with the intimacy and ease of children to, the, to their parents. The same spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. And he says, and if we are children, we're also heirs. So not just new identity, but actually new destiny. That we are heirs and we are, all, we are God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. And if we really suffer with him so that we can also be glorified with him. The spirit makes us new, gives us a new identity, a new destiny. But then Paul, there's this other verse here, Paul says in Philippians 1. Therefore, my loved ones, just as you always obey me, not just when I am present, 
But now, even more when I'm away, carry out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, some, some of you, if you've been around church for a little while, you kind of know this verse. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And maybe, like, you, <laughs> you first heard this verse because someone was trying to, like, hit you over the head with it. Hey, work out your own salvation. You're like, oh, you got the fear. But we missed the next verse. Because the next verse says, Because God is the one who enables you both to want and to actually live out his good purposes. The Christian life is a life in which God calls you to something and then gives you the power to not just do it, but actually want to do it. Paul's talking about a kind of transformation that doesn't just change. It's not behavior modification. It's desire transformation. It's actually going to change everything from the inside out. He he says God's working in you to want and to live out, and that's how you can work this out. When I was a kid, the worst thing was like Christmas morning, getting like this amazing toy, and then reading on the box, and it says, battery's not included. And you're like, if you, you know, if your parents are like, oh, yeah, I know, parent fail, right? And then you did you buy the batteries? I didn't buy the, did you buy the batteries? I didn't buy the batteries. I thought you were buying the batteries. And you know, your kid's like heartbroken, like, oh, I can't use my remote control car. There's no batteries. Can we get batteries? Like, it's Christmas Day. Everything's closed. The gift that Jesus offers us is not a gift where batteries are not included. It's not a gift if the batteries are not included. And listen, some, some of you, because there's this little vestige of like, ah, you know, our impressions from Christianity from a far away, maybe what we've seen on, on socials or what we've experienced even with our parents or grandparents, you're like, it's just like a bunch of fussy rules, right? And it's just like, we're just supposed to sort of try harder, do better. No, no, no. It's actually better news than that. It's the power to become different. And sometimes we even come to church thinking, well, it's Easter, I suppose I should go, or I'm going through this trouble, or I fell into some bad habits during COVID. And, you know, bad habits lead to late nights ending alone. <laughs> so I just, I just don't want any more conversations with a stranger I barely know, you know. <laughs> and like, I just got to change this. I need to come to church. I need to change this story, Right. But actually, God wants to offer you much more than that. Not, it's not self-help. It's not a DIY. It's not do-it-yourself. It's not you know, an improvement project. In fact, this is the third thing we're going to say about the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power to actually become like Jesus. If you're a child of God, you're going to grow up to become like the Son of God. You're going to grow up to become like Jesus. That's the whole, that's the Spirit's goal. He will not be satisfied until we keep growing that way. I mean, think about that, that metaphor even, like a baby. It's great. In the 930, we, we did baby dedication this morning. We love little babies. But our desire is that they will grow up to be functioning, healthy adults. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, God is easy to please but hard to satisfy. Easy to please because it's like, oh, it's so great. You're like, goo goo gaga, father. He's like, I love it. And then he's like, but I'm not done there. Like, you know we're not going to stop with goo goo gaga, right? Like, you like, you know, if you're 18 and you're rolling out of bed saying, goo goo gaga, dad. You know, like, I don't have, I don't, I'm not going to school or whatever. Parents should be like, dude. There's a goal here that the spirit, but the spirit is the power to do that. Some years ago, 
a young man walked into our church, and we meet at a high school downtown in Colorado Springs, and he walked in with the girl that he was in this relationship with, and and I could tell he was he was new. He was a little bit, you know, he was looking around. And he's and he and I, you know, met him in the lobby, and he's like, "Man, our lives are a mess." And I just need church right now. Same kind of thing. Need to change the story. And I said, "Great. Well, let's you know, let's connect." We we started talking. I connected him with a mentor, older couple, to guide them. They were this. They were you know headed for for marriage, and and then I invited him to Alpha. So they both went to Alpha, and he started to get rocked. Like he was like something was happening to him during Alpha. Not so much for her, but something was happening with him. And as a result, he kind of like gave his life back to the Lord. And, but there was something not working with this relationship. And this couple that had been mentoring them and doing their premarital was like, there's, there's some toxic stuff that's happening here. It's unhealthy patterns. And they were both trying to ignore it. And then on the, their wedding day, it was like this destination wedding, he called the whole thing off. Yeah, I know. It's traumatic for everybody. And, and he came back and he was just, he was triggered by that heartbreak and he started spiraling into some of those habits and addictions and drinking too much and all this stuff. And we started meeting. I was like, let's meet regularly. So we started to meet regularly. And he's sharing all this stuff and he's, oh, and he's telling me all, and, and he's like, it's great that that relationship is over. And then he's like, oh, but actually we saw each other again last night. And you know, all of this stuff, just back and two steps forward, one step back. And I said, I think what's happening to you is an old you is dying. And God's trying to bring resurrection, but there's an old self that's got to die. And there's an old you that's dying. And then I said, Did you, what would you think about getting baptized soon? He's like, I think I do want to do that. So just like you're going to do in, in a little bit today, he you know, signed up, took the class, all this stuff. We baptized him. He's smiling. He's crying. We got great pictures out of it. You know? And then he calls me the next day, and he's like, nothing's different. I'm like, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I said, but transformation is a process. And it's going to involve like some counseling and some Bible study and some community and all of this stuff. I mean, the, the metaphors Jesus gives, again, birth, baby, but then maturity or like a seed that's in the ground. It's going to take some time to keep going. Keep, this is why we have to keep saying yes to the Holy Spirit. This is why it's not enough to just say, well, yeah, no, no, I got the Holy Spirit. Great. But will you welcome his work today? How about tomorrow? How about the day after that? How about every day we wake up and we say, Holy Spirit, I need you. And this is what I want to wrap up with this morning is the Holy Spirit, basically what we've said this morning, is the Holy Spirit is God's personal and powerful presence. But if the Holy Spirit is a person and a power, <laughs> we need regular contact. I mean, think about the power metaphor for just a moment if the worship team would begin to come. Think about the power metaphor for just a moment. You guys have phones, smartphones? Like what happens when you go at night and you forget to plug in your phone? Like full-on panic the next day, right? Like, oh, my gosh, my phone's going to run out of juice. Like, I, I don't know, can I make, you know, what, what if I can't, like, check the gram, you know, at every stoplight? Like, I just, what am I going to do? <laughs> I know, I feel it. The struggle is real. But we make sure that we don't go 24 hours without reconnecting to the source. What about the Holy Spirit? What about living every moment saying, Holy Spirit, oh, I need you today. What about every, before you step into any appointment or meeting or conversation that you're like, I don't have the grace to actually do this one well. So Holy Spirit, help me to have the fruit of the Spirit. Help me to look like Jesus in this next meeting because somebody needs to and it ain't going to be them. All right? 
But think about the person metaphor. You know the difference between a friend that you've had for 20 years versus a friend you had 20 years ago? It's different, right? You hang out with an old friend from high school or college, whatever, and you get together and the first hour is awesome, but it's mo- you realize it's mostly nostalgia. And you're like, oh, remember when we blah, 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 you know? You're like, oh, that was so great. Those were the days. And then after a while, you're like, what else do we talk about? It's like, we haven't been friends. We were friends 20 years ago. If the Holy Spirit is a person, then relationships with persons have to be renewed. It's dynamic and renewable. They're, they're not meant to be dormant. That means every day we need to say, I mean, you could wake up in the morning and say, here I am, Lord. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit. I want to walk with you again today. Maybe for some of you it's that picture of breath. And you're like, I want to breathe in and breathe out. Slow down. And the Holy Spirit is God closer to you than even your own breath. So would you stand with me this morning? Last scripture we'll read is Ephesians 5. Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which produces depravity. Listen, some of the things we're chasing, the dopamine hits, the adrenaline rushes, the whatever, we're we're chasing ways of feeling transcendence, of feeling connection, of feeling... That's, it's right that we long for those things, but what Paul is saying, but don't point your longing at the thing that can't actually deliver. And for him, he gives the example of drunkenness, but man, we can apply this to anything. Don't point your longing to the thing that can't actually deliver. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit in the following ways. Speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We've been doing that this morning. Sing and make music to the Lord in your hearts. We've been doing that. We're going to do that again. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to each other out of respect for Christ. And so this morning, there's an invitation I want to give to you today. Not from me, but from the Lord. Welcome the person and the power, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit himself. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.